1: Welcome to American Indian Living, Dr. David DeRose. This is a special show, actually one in a series of shows that we're recording from a very interesting place in Indian country. I am actually in the city of Nome, Alaska, actually the the outskirts of the city. I guess I'm within the city limits. I'm being hosted by a couple who have spent uh, a large portion of their life here in Alaska. Uh, He is a pastor, Pastor Wendell and his wife Linda Downs. We're actually in their home. We've just gotten set up. We've got interviews scheduled with a number of uh, native leaders and people who have a connection with Indian country or at least Alaskan native country here in this uh, great vast land. Across from me right now is the first of my guests on today's show. And uh, Shoni Evans, it's great to have you on the program.
2: Thank you. I enjoy being here.
1: Shoni, you're one of the people that I know was working behind the scenes so that American Indian living could be up here in Nome. I just got to tell you, here's my impression. I have never flown across the state of Alaska before. And yesterday as I was flying in, I was just impressed by this vast, uh, uninhabited land. But you here in Nome have your own community. How long have you been, been here in this part of the country?
2: We have been in Nome for 16 years, and we have been in Alaska for 18.
1: Okay, so where are your roots before that?
2: Um, my parents worked for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we moved all over the U.S. and Canada with the church.
1: Okay, so now you're in Nome, Alaska. Now, I'll be honest with you, growing up, I had heard of Nome in connection with that famous diphtheria Outbreak and the history of the Iditarod is that part of the cultural identity of Nome?
2: Oh, it definitely is.
1: And so, why why does that resonate with people so much uh, here? I, I noticed even someone driving me through town, uh, the Iditarod isn't running presently, but there was uh, the finish line has a, a big carving or something that I guess is not where it's ultimately. Uh, placed at the race, but this is a big part of, uh, Gnome, isn't it?
2: It's part of the culture of Gnome, and, you know, we're all getting ready. The Iditarod starts here in just a few weeks, and the excitement of it, Gnome triples in size, and it's just, it's, it's a big cultural time. It's a time that we get together. It's a lot of fun.
1: So, for those tuning into the show, we're actually recording the program in February. American Indian Living is a pre-recorded show. And so you're getting a sense of what it's like in winter in Nome. I I actually was surprised that it was as mild as it was. I was out this morning. It was uh, 25. I know that may sound intense to some people who listen to the southern states, but this has been a, a mild February for you, right?
2: Oh, this is an extremely mild February. We're we're enjoying the warm weather.
1: Okay. Well, Shoney, I have you on the show for a number of reasons. I mean, one, because you've been in this community for many years, but you have a, a special interest in Alaskan natives, and it's kind of an interesting connection that you have. Tell tell our listeners about it.
2: Um, we have been a foster family, foster group home family here in our community for 16 years, and we've had over 300 Alaska Native children come through our home. God has also blessed us with being able to adopt two Alaska Native children and have them in our home permanently. And it's just been an awesome mission.
1: So now you and your husband are not Alaska Natives, is that right?
2: No. My husband was born in Alaska to a missionary family. And this has been his home, but um, we are not Alaska Native.
1: Now, this is one of the sensitive topics that often comes up on American Indian Living because there's different perspectives on Christianity and missions in Indian countries. Some people, as I travel throughout Indian countries, some say, you know, these people are wonderful. I myself identify as a Christian. Other people say, well, this is a representation of the Europeans' religion that was forced on us, and uh, I don't want anything to do with it. Do do you sense those tensions with your background as a Christian and then uh, providing foster care and adopting even some Alaskan Native children?
2: Oh, yes, definitely. It is something that we have been confronted with and dealt with for many years. Um, It has given us challenges at times. With the length of time that we've been here and the amount that we have worked with the Alaska Natives, we're very accepted within the community, Mm -hmm. and accepted as one of them in a lot of different ways, Mm -hmm. Um, but it it is a challenge.
1: Well, and I think the point you're making is a powerful one, and uh, people throughout Indian Country have reason to be suspicious, to be concerned, to question the motives, of people from different cultural backgrounds because that's historically what uh, has been dealt with in many communities. And at the same time, you're an example of what we've also seen, and that is there are people from all different racial and ethnic backgrounds who actually, in a sense, and I know some of my listeners would, um, would be uncomfortable with my putting it this way, but in a sense become part of Indian country. Even though your roots are not there, you actually um, have become identified with the community. And I sense that's what's happened in your case. Yes. So this has been a growing experience for you, too. You have a different appreciation for Native culture, Native Alaskan culture, than you did 20 years ago. Tell us what's happened in your own life.
2: Yes. It, my impression and understanding of Native culture has definitely grown You know, when we first moved here, we were young. I had two young babies. I had just finished my degree in social work and came up like many people thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to help the Native people and come into the community very excited and and ready to work. And I learned very fast that I wasn't wanted, Hmm. you know, that it was going to take time, that they had to learn to trust us. That we had to become a part of them and a part of their culture, not them them become a part of ours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But to learn to live within in their community Mm -hmm. and love them where they are and who they are and not want to change them. You know, they have an amazingly beautiful culture. They are very, very strong people. And the children, um, we want to help the children to carry on their culture, Mm -hmm. to carry on their background and to learn their, their history. It is very, very important so that it doesn't disappear. And it took time for, for me to understand that, um, the beauty of their culture Mm -hmm. and to become a part of it.
1: And I, I think this is the message that's so needed because we have many people that listen to American Indian living. Many of them are not native. And some people, when they hear about the needs in Indian country, they may not be of First Nation background. And they say, just like you said, Shoni, you and your husband years ago, that you want to do something to make a difference, to help indigenous peoples. And the history, though, of, quote, help was often just like you're expressing with people imposing their culture on Native ways. And so I think it's refreshing to many, and, and some of you who are, who are regular listeners, I know you're uh, native, by roots, you may be on a reservation today listening, maybe you're an urban Indian, but I, I think you have to take courage, even if you have mixed emotions, that there is this growing uh, number of people who do want to come side by side and, and help with some of the challenges in Indian country. And we're seeing this across tribal lines and throughout the uh, the United States and, and up here in this uh, most northwesterly part of the states. Shoni, you're a social worker by training. Yes. How did being a social worker transition to becoming a foster care parent? Was that part of your plan when you came here?
2: Foster care was not originally part of our plan. We actually moved up here, and one afternoon... We had only been here a couple weeks. A social worker came and knocked on my door, and she had two beautiful twin six-month-old baby boys. Wow. And she looked at me, and she says, You want to become a foster parent? And I'm like, "Um, Do you need help with these babies? And she's like, Yes, we need a foster family for these babies. Will you take them? And I kind of stumbled over myself. I mean, I had a (sighs) one-year-old... And a two year old at home. And I looked at her and I said, come in, come in. And, and I took them in my arms and they were just amazing, beautiful little boys. And, um, she's like, so you'll take them. I said, I'll, I'll take them. And she turned around and walked out. And I'm like, okay, um, what do I do? Huh. I have four babies now. It was a couple hours later. My husband came home for lunch and he he starts counting babies. He's like, I left with two and now there are four. And I said, aren't they sweet? We're going to be foster parents. <laughs> and that was the beginning of a great journey. God opened the door that I never expected, that Mike and I had never planned on, and said, here, this is where I want you to be. And it grew from there. We got our foster license. Um for a while I was the director of a um RCCY uh rehab children's home.
1: What does that mean to play in plain English?
2: RCCY is a um residential care facility mm-hmm. um that is here in town that we also did worked with foster kids and kids that um had a lot of different struggles. And so I went and I directed that program for a while and then Mike and I felt the impression that I needed to be home again and that foster care is where we were going. Mm. So we are, we have reopened our foster group home. We are licensed for six kids right now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Plus, you know, our kids are at home and God has just blessed us because I'm able to homeschool these children. I'm able to work with them and, and help them. You know, it may be just a short time. God sometimes gives us these kids for a few days, sometimes they give them, he gives them to us for five or six years. Mm-hmm. And I figure if if God will give us the strength and the know-how to help them, even if it's just for a few days, it's a seed that's planted in their life.
1: What do you do to help these kids connect with their native Alaskan culture?
2: Oh, we do all kinds of stuff. You know, I'm totally into um, picking berries and making traditional dress for the children and um you know teaching them how to care for the land and we actually live 10 miles out of town so our um we live a very natural lifestyle and um you know through the years we've learned parts and pieces of their languages and we mm-hmm. carry that on with the children and you know just talking to them about their history and and learning about their foods and, you know, um, having their traditional foods within our home.
1: Now, I notice there's um, there's actually quite a bit of Native crafts and other things here in Nome. Is that something that you've had a chance to have the kids connect with at all?
2: Oh, yeah. We love doing, like, beading and working with leatherwork work and, and that kind of stuff. We have the boys and the girls both working on that. And, um, the kids love to do carving and you know all of that kind of of projects we do within our home also, plus, you know, I have a lot of native friends they'll come in, and you know I'll tell them I have a fourteen year old mm-hmm. and she wants to learn beating, so I get them connected with other elders that's wonderful in the community, so that they can learn from their um native elders how to do some of this stuff
1: tremendous well, I mean, this is an exciting. Uh, ministry, as you call it. Uh, I've been excited to just start getting acquainted with some of the folks here in Nome. We're looking forward to a number of shows here. Shoni, our time is just about slipped away from us in this segment. Any parting thoughts to others who may be in a similar position as you and your husband were at uh, 20 years ago?
2: Don't give up and step back. Hmm. Step back. Let the natives come to you. Um, God has a mission and it may not be what we plan but he will show us where he wants us and where he needs us and, and what we need to do
1: Tremendous If you're listening today you're a First Nation person there are needs in your community needs in giving back to your own people If you're not Native there's still opportunities to make a difference. Shoni, thanks so much for joining us. We've got some more great interviews coming up from Nome, Alaska. A series of programs here. This is just the beginning. I'm Dr. David DeRose. You don't want to miss our next guests coming up in the next segment. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this.
2: My name is Florence AQ. For lunch today, I had grilled chicken and squash. I am Zuni Indian and I have the power to prevent diabetes.
3: My name is D. Dakota Dinesosi. I turned the TV off and took my nieces and nephews for a walk. We saw two jackrabbits, an eagle, and zero cartoons. I'm from the Dine nation
4: and I have the power to prevent diabetes. Science has proven that if we lose as little as 10 pounds by walking briskly for 30 minutes, five days a week, and make healthier food choices, we we can prevent diabetes.
2: My name is Barbara Akasefkup Curtis. I'm losing weight and being more active. I am Alaskan inukat Eskimo and I have the power to prevent diabetes.
4: For more information on how to prevent diabetes, talk to your health care provider. For free materials, call the National Diabetes Education Program at one 800 438 5383 and ask for the power to prevent diabetes. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.
5: This is the story of Daniel, who was born two months early. He weighed one pound, seven ounces. His lungs weren't ready. His heart wasn't ready. His brain wasn't ready. At the hospital, the nurses said Daniel was a fighter and they would do all they could to help him. The doctor said, even with the best care, Daniel may never walk. He may never see. He may never learn. Daniel's parents spent night after night at the hospital, watching his every breath, holding his tiny hands, and looking for signs that he was growing stronger. At home, his parents looked around Daniel's empty nursery, at the quiet toys and the still rocker, and they hoped that one day they could sit in that rocking chair and tell this story to their very healthy son. Daniel's is just one of the more than 500,000 stories of babies born prematurely last year. But there's hope for a happy ending. The March of Dimes is funding the research and programs to stop premature birth. You can help bring more babies home healthy. Learn how at MarchofDimes.com. Working together for stronger, healthier babies.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: This is Dr. David DeRose back with you from Nome, Alaska. This pre-recorded show being recorded in the uh, far northwestern parts of the United States. I thought we were going to have another guest in this segment. And before I could say goodbye to Shoni Evans, who was my guest in the first segment, we got to talking. I said, Shoni, I can't let you leave. I didn't say it in those words, but she was gracious enough to stay by for one more time. Shoni, you have this amazing story. You, you were telling us about how you've, you and your husband have pretty much dedicated your life to raising Native Alaskan youth. But then at the break, you told me about your own background. Uh, you actually were adopted yourself.
2: Yeah, I was adopted um, at a young age by also an, a Native family.
1: So you were adopted by a Native family, and now you, without genetic Native roots, are coming back into a Native community and making a difference. You told me, though, some. I was just fascinated by the story. I think it was your grandmother. Tell me about this.
2: This is a story that is not well known about my family, but from what... Um I've been told my grandmother um was th- the chief's daughter of a tribe up in um Michigan area and he um died when he went away to war um during one of the world wars and his tribe was struggling and my grandfather had a large ranch that his ranch land pretty much surrounded one side of the tribal land. And the tribe was losing their lands because they didn't have their chief anymore. And so my grandfather um, wanted to save the tribe, so he married the eldest daughter of the chief. And um, she was very young, and he did not officially take her as his wife until she turned 18. But he took care of the tribe and and helped them survive
1: and this was uh and this was already a tribe that had undergone some persecution in different ways too
2: yeah this was a tribe that came from three tribes on the east coast and um these people had accepted Christ as their savior and they were outcasts out of their tribe and so they banded together and moved into the Michigan area and had their tribal land and had been a tribe for many, many years there together.
1: So we have this very interesting intersection in your life between Christianity and the impact of Christianity in the lives of Native people, and then Native people and uh, people from Caucasian backgrounds, helping each other. And this is going on for a number of generations. So you're actually part of this legacy that, to me, I think is a a message that needs to be told more, that people from different backgrounds can cooperate together. People from uh, Christian communities can respect uh, people with First Nation backgrounds, even if they don't embrace Christianity. Uh, people from native backgrounds can take an interest in uh, in the Caucasians who are descendants of people that uh, that persecuted them and exterminated even some of their families or extended family so this is really a message of healing and the other interesting chapter in it is just your whole um, this whole tension between races and cultures because you were motivated, you and your husband, you told me the story, how you had just finished your social work training, right? Correct. And what was it that that gave you this idea that you wanted to come and make a difference in Alaska?
2: Um, Alaska came into viewpoint when I met my husband. Um, He had been born and raised um, in Dillingham, Alaska. His parents were missionaries. In Alaska, and um, when he was about 10, 11, 12, they moved back down into lower 48. And his dream was always to return to Alaska. So, you know, he brought the Alaska mission to me.
1: Mm -hmm. So, you have this dream together. You're going to leave, you've got your training. He's a pilot, right?
2: Correct. He's a pilot.
1: And you're now a social worker. And you ended up in Bethel, Alaska, is that right?
2: Yes, we were in Bethel.
1: For those who don't know Alaska geographically, is there an easy way to describe that over the radio?
2: Um, if you can find Nome, Bethel is south of Nome on the U- um, on the Delta that's between the Yukon and the Cuscoquin Rivers.
1: Okay. So the Yukon River is this, this river that kind of cuts through central Alaska? Yes. Yeah. And Nome would be north and uh, west of that Correct. river delta. So you were down in Bethel, and this was just looked like something that was to be. You ended up there, and everything lived happily ever after, as they say.
2: No, it didn't. We, you know, my husband had a flight job there, and he was um, in a company that did not view Christianity very positively okay. Um. and then when, when we first moved there I thought I would get a social work job I'd be able to work with the, the people in Alaska and I went in and talked to somebody you know the first week we were here with this resume and everything and they looked at me and said they didn't want my kind to be working up here hmm. and which you know devastated me
1: so you've pulled up roots, you and your husband moved to Alaska, he's got a job as a pilot, you're going to work as a social worker, and you're told by the person, or a person hiring social workers, that they don't want your kind, and presumably it was because you were not Native, is that what you sensed? Correct. What happened from there?
2: Um, I started a daycare, and still was able to work with the Alaska Native children, and, um... The the church there invited us to um help guide the the church in Bethel.
1: So this was the Seventh day Adventist Church? Yes, sir. And what you already mentioned your husband was working for a company, flying for a company that didn't necessarily view Christianity all that highly. I guess one of the distinctive things that many people know about Seventh day Adventists is they keep the Bible Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Uh, Was that something that was important to your husband as well?
2: That was definitely something that was important to him, and it was something that um, he did not fly during the Sabbath hours.
1: So he said when he was accepting this job, I I can't conscientiously do commercial flying from Friday night to Saturday night. Yes. And that was understood and was accepted.
2: Yeah, that was understood and accepted. He had flown for them for almost six, we were there about six months.
1: Okay. So you're there, you're starting to do some uh, babysitting, as you put it, of Native children, Native Alaskan children. Your husband's got this flying job, but I'm in Nome right now. You're sitting across from me. You told me in our first segment, told all of us that you've been doing this for 18 or 20 years here in Nome. Uh, You just can't drive your car between Bethel and Nome, can you?
2: No, you can't. There are no roads either place.
1: So, I mean, there's roads, of course, (laughs) in the town, right? But you can't get between the two. So how did you get up here?
2: Well, it was definitely God's leading completely. Um the the church had come up and was going to dedicate our family to work with um the people in Bethel. And Friday night, I said a prayer and I said, God, if this is where you want us to stay, open the doors. Help us be accepted by these people. Help us be accepted here and show us that Bethel is supposed to be our home. If not, close the doors. Um, The next day was Saturday, Sabbath, and we dedicated our family to the mission work in Bethel.
1: So let me see if I've got this straight. Although the uh, Native Alaskan community at this point, you're just new there, they hadn't really embraced you that well. But the Seventh-day Adventist Church saw your love for the people, your concern, and they said, why don't you uh, officially represent us, even though this was not a paid position, right? Correct. Okay. And, and, you, and you're and moving in that direction. You're saying, okay, we're going to do this. The church has a special service, and they say, here's our, our new folks that will be helping uh, officially as part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church make a difference here in Bethel. They're going to uh, provide a, uh, some Christian leadership in this community. So, But you had had this prayer. You said the night before this dedication. Yes. Was that prayer answered?
2: That prayer was answered in, in a way that I didn't think it was supposed to be answered.
1: <laughs> T- tell us about it.
2: You know, the next morning, um, my husband got called. By the company that he flew for, and they asked him to fly out to one of the villages.
1: This is now Sunday morning. You're, you have this, this was, dedi- was Sunday morning. Okay, dedication <laughs> on Saturday, Sunday morning. He gets a call, and he, they want him to fly out to a village. Okay,
2: and it, the weather was really bad. Nobody was flying. Nobody could fly. Um, and Mike's boss told him he had to take this flight, and he was. He told them that he could not.
1: Wow. We're out of time in this segment. Um, I'm, I'm hoping I haven't uh, burned my bridges with Shoni and that she can finish her story. Dr. DeRose with you on American Indian Living. Fascinating stories from Nome, Alaska. We'll be back with more. Stay tuned.
0: American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre recorded broadcast, please call 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673.
3: When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's kind of like an elephant is on my chest. I feel like I'm choking. Sometimes my parents have to take me to the hospital.
4: You know how to react to their asthma attacks. Here's how to prevent them. Visit www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many.
3: I feel like a fish with no water.
4: Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. Did you know 26 million Americans have kidney disease and most don't know
5: it? The day I was diagnosed, I didn't know what to do. I called the National Kidney Foundation and the young lady who answered stayed on the phone with me and walked me through step by step. She too was surviving kidney disease. and She showed me there could be life after kidney disease.
4: Visit the National Kidney Foundation at kidney.org. Now you know. As Native Americans and Alaska Natives, we have the power to prevent diabetes.
2: Science has proven that if we lose as little as 10 pounds by walking briskly for 30 minutes, five days a week, and making healthier food choices, we can prevent diabetes.
4: For more information, talk to your health care provider. For free materials, call the National Diabetes Education Program at 1-800-438-5383 and ask for the power to prevent diabetes. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.
1: Corporal John Vale was on patrol when his truck flipped.
4: I realized
1: I can't move my legs. When John arrived at the VA, Paralyzed Veterans of America was there to advocate for him and help John with his claim. PVA has helped hundreds of thousands of veterans get the care and benefits they've earned, and their service is free. If you need help with a claim or just navigating the system, contact us at pva.org.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr.
1: DeRose. This is Dr. David DeRose back with you on American Indian Living. We're doing an exciting show, the first in a series of shows from Nome, Alaska, Across from me in our virtual studio here is Shoni Evans. Shoni's been sharing with us really what I find is an amazing story of the intersection between two cultures, Native and Caucasian cultures, cultures from the lower 48 as well as here uh, in Alaska. And Shoni, you were telling us how you you and your husband had this desire to make a difference in Indian country here with Native Alaskans. It looked like doors were opening in Bethel. Some of the people were not uh, all that receptive, understandably so, because of how Caucasians have have often treated First Nation peoples here in in Alaska as well as in other places. But the Seventh-day Adventist Church saw the leadership potential of the two of you. They've set you apart. You're praying that God will open the doors and bless your ministry if that's what's supposed to happen. Sunday morning comes and your husband, who's a pilot, has got a call from his company and he's supposed to make a flight. And you said it was at another time you told me it was blizzard conditions. Yeah. Did I understand it?
2: It was blizzard conditions. It was awful weather.
1: So how could anyone rightly expect him to fly?
2: You really couldn't rightly expect him to fly. It was um, my, the owner of the company did not like that Mike was a Seventh-day Adventist.
1: But but he hired him, right?
2: He was not the one that hired him. He was actually out of the country when Mike was hired. I see. And his second in command um, is the one that hired Mike and had set up, yes, you could have Sabasov and the whole thing. So when the owner came back and found out he had a Christian working for him, it, he was very angry.
1: Oh, okay. So, so he and, and your husband were not on the best of terms to begin with. And did he know about this dedication that the church had? He did not know. Okay. Those were
2: two very separate things.
1: Okay. But so, he, so this has been going on for quite a while. And then here's his opportunity to put your husband in a no-win situation, right? What, what happened on that Sunday morning? Did your husband fly in the blizzard?
2: <laughs> My husband did not fly. He, he told him that he couldn't fly and he wouldn't risk it. And the owner said, if you will not fly, then you're fired. You're out of here.
1: Wow. And he lost his job just like that.
2: He lost his job, and and Mike came home, and he's like, Shoni, I don't know what we're going to do. We had, I mean, we were a very young um, couple just starting out. We had spent everything we had just to get to Bethel, Alaska. And now we di- he didn't have a job. We didn't have anything.
1: And and this position that the Adventist church had just set you apart for, that had no budget?
2: No, that was totally a voluntary position.
1: So how are you feeling at this point?
2: Terrified, Uh (laughs) you know. um, I thought this is where God wanted us. This This is what we were supposed to do. And now all the doors seem to be shutting.
1: Wow. So now you're in Bethel, Alaska. You have a lot of family there? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no i grew up far away from there i knew no one this um my husband was the only person i knew
1: wow so you cut off from all your support you have no finances D did you even have money to leave bethel
2: no we didn't have enough money for even one ticket plane ticket out of there we were stuck that's where we were
1: so what did you do we prayed And did God answer your prayer?
2: God answered our prayer in a miracle way. The next morning, Monday morning, um, my husband got a call from an owner of a company, a flight company here in Nome. And um, Jim called Mike and asked him if, um, why he got fired from Grant. And um, Mike told him because he would not fly in a storm. And Jim said, "I'm going to ask you again, Mike. Why were you fired from that company?" And Mike said, "Because I'm a Seventh Day Adventist I would not fly on Saturday."
1: And, and how did how did Mike put that together? Is it was was the employer had talked with him about that previously? Correct. I see. Yeah. And so did this close the doors with uh, the company here in Nome?
2: No, Jim told Mike that if he was that faithful to his God, then he would be that faithful to his company.
1: Now, how long ago was that?
2: That was 16 years ago.
1: And is he still working for that company? Mike
2: still works for... So
1: he, so he has been faithful.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> okay, so, you, so you're in Bethel. You've got a job in Noam. You already told us geographically, although um, on a map it may look like, uh, well, if you can drive between... Portland, Maine, and Orlando, Florida, it's closer than that, but this is different travel conditions up here, isn't it?
2: It is, very much. There's, you know, you have to take a airplane from Bethel back to Anchorage, Alaska, hmm. and then another airplane from Anchorage, Alaska to Nome, and they're about an hour and a half flights, each of them.
1: And it's not, uh, it's not something that they do for free, right? You've got to actually pay up front like any other
2: ticket. <laughs> Correct. And it's expensive to fly up here. Yeah, I've
1: noticed that just <laughs> having arrived yesterday. So, how do you, how do you start a new job if you don't have money to get there?
2: It was amazing because the company here in Nome offered to, um, pay the plane ticket for Mike to fly to Nome. They helped move our family here mm. and, you know, helped get us settled in a small apartment downtown. Um, we had my daughter's first birthday was here two days after we moved to Nome. So I had a one year old and I also had a two year old wow. son. And, um,
1: but how are you feeling emotionally? You were living in the lower 48, uh, in probably an urban area because you were in school, right?
2: Yes, I went to Southern College in Chattanooga, Tennessee.
1: And now you go to Bethel, Alaska. You're not well accepted there. Everything falls apart. And now you're pulling up roots headed to... But you saw God's hand the minute your husband told you that he's got an opportunity to know him. You just were excited about it?
2: No, I was terrified. It's like, oh, another place in Alaska, and we're going further north. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know we We stepped off the plane here. Mike actually came to Nome a few weeks before we did, and me and the children stepped off the plane in Nome, and um, there was a family standing there, and they were from our church here, and I had never met them. I had met them before when I was very, very young, mm-hmm. but I hadn't met them in my adult life. And she walked up to me and she wrapped her arms around me. And she said, Shoni, I am so glad you are here mm. and brought us into their home. And we walked through the doors and I saw a set of books that I had as a child. Mm. And the same set of books was on their shelf. And it was funny because that set of books gave me a piece. It's like, this is home. This is Nome, and for some reason God wants us here. Didn't know at that point what God had in planned, but I felt at peace.
1: Now that set of books was not just an ordinary set of books because uh, you you, and you reminded me that, and I didn't know this even in meeting you at first, but I actually know your dad, and. Uh, Tell our listeners about the work that your dad did for many years.
2: My dad is Doug Sales, and he worked for the Review and Herald um, as the marketing vice president. He um, worked with the Adventist Book Centers, both in Canada and the U.S., and these books were part of the books that were my dad's that the Review and Herald published, um, they were like family friends.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so so you see this set of books that your dad was involved publishing as you walk into this house, and that connected, didn't it? It did. So you told us a story in the first segment about how you got involved in foster care, a woman showing up at your doorstep. When did that happen in, in... this time sequence of you arriving in Nome.
2: This happened two weeks after we stepped off the plane here in Nome.
1: Two weeks?
2: So we were brand new here.
1: Wow. This is an amazing story. And um, I've been inspired because it's really a cross-cultural story of healing. Um, There were people that, uh, that rubbed you the wrong way. People no doubt that you rubbed the wrong way. But there were other people, both Native and non-Native, who said, you know, we can work together. We can make our community a better community. And did I catch correctly what you said earlier, that you've had some 300 foster children have have gone through your home?
2: Yes, we've had 300-plus foster children through our home. Um, All of them are Alaska Native. Mm -hmm. We've had children from as far as, Far south as Dillingham, and as far north as Barrow. Um so they've come from all over the region, not just from Nome. Mm-hmm. Um every age from a baby that was two days old to um young adults that are 17, 18, 19 years old.
1: And what's exciting to me and I think to our listeners is, as we heard, you connect them with native elders. Those elders may not be able to be foster parents. They may may not be able to take care of an infant, uh, but they have skills and learning and cultural wisdom that you're helping those children to to benefit from. Definitely. You know, one other question as we're, we're winding down this segment is, I think you're in a unique position to, to speak across cultural lines to people in Indian country and people who listen to the show who don't have a Native background. From your experience, what could all of us do better?
2: Accepting each other where we are. Mm. Not trying to say that we are better than you are or that you are better than us, but that we open our eyes and accept each other and learn from each other. The Native cultures have amazing things that we can learn from them. Um, There's so much that I have learned from getting to know and understand these people. And um, I cherish every bit of that knowledge that I have.
1: Tremendous, tremendous. and. What are we doing right? I mean, if if lack of acceptance is part of the problem, I mean, I guess you could say, well, where we accept others, that's what's happening. That's right. Do you see some other encouraging things happen as you've been involved at this interface between cultures in a number of ways, both your own background and now giving back here in Indian country, if you will, with Native Alaskans, Do you you have any, any things that you would like to say, you know, this is inspiring to me and I want to encourage other people to, uh, to experience it.
2: You know, um,
1: I see you're hesitating a little bit, but, but I know you're a faith based individual. We have many people who listen to the show that do come from a Christian background. Others don't, but it's okay to give us a, a faith based answer if that's what comes to mind.
2: God gives us strength no matter, you know, He he guides us. And the traditional Native way of the Spirit guides and, and you know, the Christian way of, of God guiding us, I think sometimes we just need to step back and listen to Him. And it doesn't matter what culture we're in.
1: Tremendous message. Look for spiritual direction in your own life. There is something beyond you, whether you call him God, the creator, spirit, God, that is willing to give you direction. We'll have more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't go away.
0: Today's broadcast has been prerecorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this
3: what i say you already know but you don't believe you won't accept you don't conceive when you're inside your car you feel safest of all are you safe are you two tons of sheet metal in your hands two tons don't run on autopilot you have a mission it's no collision hold the phone don't text you're angling to be next Oh, you've done it before. What's the harm? Just this once. There's no alarm. Got your hands on the wheel? No big deal. Brothers and sisters, you won't see it coming. You're off the road. Your life explodes. It's not worth it. Don't do it. You only think there's nothing to it. Put it down. Hang up. Pay attention to highway action. Behind the wheel, there is no such thing as a small distraction. Join the conversation at Decidetodrive.org, a public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, who would rather help keep your bones strong than put them back together. I'm in almost every school bus and classroom. I go to school with your children. We say the Pledge of Allegiance together. You see me around the neighborhood, and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. This problem is closer than you think. My teacher tells me we could grow up to be whatever we want. I want to grow up to be someone who doesn't go to bed hungry. There's enough food in this country to feed everybody. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we are Feeding America, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ag Council.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1 800 775 4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome back to American Indian Living, our final segment of today's show. It's been an amazing show for me because we have been on a journey here with Shoni Evans. Um, I haven't really known what we were getting into. I thought we were going to have Shoni here for just a short 15 minute interview during our, uh, our first segment. But we've actually taken up the whole show with you. Thank you for, by the way, but just just for those of you listening, I'm sitting here in Nome, Alaska. I'm looking out on the tundra. And by the way, the most notable things I can see is basically nothing out there. Uh, You're an eyewitness. Am I describing this correctly? Yeah. Well, I guess you would say there's not nothing. There's bushes, right? And snow. But there's some radio towers out there, so I'm feeling very at home here. <laughs> that radio is a part of the the culture here in Nome. But what was so interesting to me as we were talking after that last segment is there's another amazing connection that we're trying to explore here at Nome. Because uh, and this is for those of you listening, this is a potentially life saving health connection. You might be wondering about some of the health implications of what we've been sharing, but something that has become uh, Almost a household word here in Nome is CPT-1. And this isn't current procedural terminology or something. CPT-1 stands for carnitine palmitoyl transferase type 1. uh, If we want to go further, type 1A, the Arctic variant. Why are people talking about that in Nome? And what does this have to do with you?
2: Um, It is a genetic difference that is seen in some of our villages up here. And we have had several children with CPT1, including our native daughter that we've adopted.
1: So you have a child, and you've had a number of them, that have this genetic variant. And I've really just been learning about it. I'm not a pediatrician. And this is well known in the medical literature. I actually have a printout here, from the, uh, I believe this is from the National Institutes of Health, uh, carnitine transferase, type 1A Arctic variant, and this is a disorder of what we call fatty acid oxidation. In other words, children with this genetic trait, they cannot metabolize fat as uh, a person normally would. Correct. Correct. And since you've been raising a daughter or have raised a number of, of children with this condition, what does it look like? What's, what, what are the problems with this condition?
2: Um, the main problem that we see, you know, in, in layman's terms is she has low, low blood sugar. And her blood sugar can drop very fast as an infant. They need to be fed every two hours without question. You do not skip a feeding. Mm -hmm. And as they get older, if they're running a fever or anything is off in their diet, um, their blood sugar can drop. And with our child, Haley, you can just see it even in her face and the way she's acting. She just she'll just burst out in tears. She can be playing with her friends and all of a sudden she just starts crying and Um, We know at that point, always keep a granola bar in your pocket Mm. because you want to give her um, something as quick as possible because if she doesn't, her blood sugar will drop to a point that she will have seizures.
1: So normally a a child, we have different storage forms of energy. We have something called glycogen, which is a storage form of sugar, but we also rely on our fat stores. And so these children cannot really break down that fat and use it for energy efficiently. Correct. Uh, They also, if they eat a high-fat diet, they don't tend to get overweight, right?
2: No, they don't.
1: From the little I've done studying into this, Native Alaskans historically ate a lot of high-fat foods, so this genetic variant may have actually protected them from obesity and other disorders, but it has this problem, especially in the very young child, If the child has diarrhea or some illness, they can get very sick and can even have permanent disability or or death. Can that even happen with this?
2: Yes, it definitely can.
1: So Haley, you told me, is a miracle more than just because she has this genetic uh, challenge that you've been working with, but she had some other strikes against her from, well, from birth, didn't she?
2: Yeah, she was born 10 weeks early. She was three pounds, two ounces. Um, she was unable to see and hear. She was born with a hole in her heart. And also she was addicted to um, the drugs that her mom had been taking, um, cocaine and marijuana and alcohol.
1: Wow. And so the doctors didn't give you much hope when you were taking her first as a foster child. Is that right?
2: Yeah, she was um, five, six weeks in an ICU. In Anchorage and um, I was able to visit her and we first met her in an ICU in Anchorage and at um, six weeks we brought her home. She was five pounds. She was on an apnea monitor and this monitor squealed every time her heart stopped or she would quit breathing Mm -hmm. to alert us that we would need to help her. She was very, very small. She was the length of my husband's foot.
1: Wow! Wow! So when you talk, you've used the term before ministry, uh, this really is. I mean, you're taking care of many children that have a lot against. And those first two infants that you told about several times in your story, they didn't come. You're you telling us how beautiful the children were, but they had gone through a lot of abuse, hadn't they?
2: They had. They had um, a punctured and collapsed lung, and broken ribs. They. We're also on apnea monitors.
1: Wow. Now, all of this comes back full circle with an amazing angle to these stories. It all comes together, and some people are wondering. We well, were talking about the CPT-1, and what does this have to do with this show? One one thing is, for Alaska natives, I think most Alaska natives have heard of this, but if they haven't, if you have infants, you need to learn about it, right?
2: Yes, they actually do testing at birth, mandatory testing um, in this region because it is so common.
1: But people that have Alaskan native blood, if they're not in this region, it, it could slip off the radar screen, so to speak. Yes. But we're talking about it also because you and your husband have a vision for expanding what you're doing. You've got a lot of encouragement from the community. And there is an interesting player in this equation that um, is related to some of the research on CPT1. Um, is that something that would be worth mentioning at this point?
2: Um, yeah, we have, we are looking at building a larger home that we can expand so that we can take care of more children. Mm-hmm. And, um, we have been working with several foundations in Alaska that, um, are helping us with funding for this project.
1: And I know some of those, Foundations have a special vision for Native kids. They're concerned about this disorder, and they see what you've been doing with children with this condition. And that seems like that's one of the connections. Am I am I just extrapolating? Because no, you're correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I mean, this is very exciting. Now there's folks that listen to this show from across Indian country. There are people who have no Native roots, but they're inspired by what you're doing, and uh, they're inspired by your story. Is there a way that someone could could help i mean do you you have volunteers work up here for summer projects do you have uh, do you still have needs for funds on the new facility you're trying to open? Uh, tell us about that
2: We definitely have needs for funding um, for our building project. Anything that has to be built up here has to be shipped up here mm-hmm. and it can't just come up on a road and on a truck it has to be flown into us wow so this building project is um we are about 60 percent funded for it but we still have another 40 percent that we're working on um we also encourage groups or people if they want to contact us about working in some of the um projects that are up here Mm -hmm. um I have had a few interns that have come up and have also worked with us.
1: So how does someone get a hold of you if they're interested?
2: You could call me directly. Wow. Um,
1: And and how do they do that?
2: 907-304-1071. Okay,
1: let me see if I've got that. 907-304-1071. Okay. Give it to us one more time. I want to make sure there's people driving, uh, listening to the show. Give it one more time.
2: My number is 907-301-1071.
1: Okay. Shoni, our time is uh, is just about slipped away. You've been an inspiration. You've gone through some real challenges, but uh, you've used that, those challenges to really, from my perspective, open doors for you to make a difference Uh, for First Nation peoples. It's an exciting story. Any final words of encouragement to our listeners?
2: I appreciate your mission here, and, you know, let God lead.
1: Okay, well spoken. Dr. David DeRose with Shoni Evans. Shoni, making a difference in Indian country. You can too, whether you have native roots or not. Just look to the Creator as she just encourage us. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Hopefully today's show has inspired you. For all of us in American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose. As always, wishing you the very best of health.
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.